The following feature has been rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences and parental discretion is advised. Home box office will show this feature only at night. Thank you. Have a nice day. Oh man, multiple sadness. Welcome to Multiple Sadness, a horrible podcast about horrible movies. So bad they're good, but still mostly bad. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, we will witness some dreadful things. In this week's movie, Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things. What the hell have you done? Holy Christ! Before we get started, I want to thank... The listeners out there who have donated to the show, if you want to find out more about that, you can go to robohara.com forward slash podcasts. I did get a few donations, and with that money, I bought a uh, clickless silent mouse. See if you can hear this. Haha, I hope you can't. That's because the mouse is silent. That allows me to uh, maneuver through these documents uh, completely silently while I'm recording. So thank you uh, to those of you that have supported uh, not just this show, but all my shows. Let's go ahead and reach into this week's mailbag of sadness. We have two quick messages uh, in the mailbag this week. The first is from Robert Strudwick, a.k.a. Strutter. Strutter says, hey, Rob, just adding a link to the other horror movie filmed in the same mall as Chopping Mall. And that movie is Phantom of the Mall. I have no idea if it's a good bad movie or just a plain bad movie, but here it is on YouTube. So I will add a link to this in the show notes. It is a link to uh, a film called Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. It was released in 1989 and it was filmed in the same mall that Chopping Mall was filmed in. There were several movies filmed in that mall, uh, including some scenes from Commando. You psychopath! Do this crap out of here! So thank you, Strutter, for sitting that in. There's also a message in here from Robert Ferguson, a.k.a. Ferg, you may know from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. Ferg says, I can't remember if you mentioned this or not, but check out this music video starting at the 2 minute and 30 second mark. The song is Moby's We Are All Made of Stars. I will add a link to this in the show notes as well. And if you skip to the 2 minute and 30 second mark, you will see Toxie from the Toxic Avenger, shortly followed by Sergeant Kabuki Man, which is another film that we've covered here on Multiple Sadness. So thank you. I did not know about that cameo appearance. Uh, I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, I know Toxic Avenger is somebody that has made his way into um, the public knowledge. You know, there was the uh, cartoon show. There have been a lot of people know about Toxic Avenger. He's a little bit more mainstream, but I was not expecting to see uh, <laughs> Sergeant Kabuki Man appear in a Moby music video. So that was pretty funny. So thank you for those messages. If you have other messages, you can drop those directly to me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. You can find me on Twitter at Commodore, or you can leave them on the Multiple Sadness Facebook page, which is Facebook.com forward slash Multiple Sadness. Oh, you can always leave a voicemail, too. If you'd like at the uh, you don't know flag voicemail hotline, 
which is area code 405-486-YDKF. That stands for You Don't Know Flack. Now, you might be saying to yourself, is a movie like Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things even worth reviewing? Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things isn't a Martha Plimpton movie. It's not even close. But to that I say, all bad movies deserve a review, even the ones that bring us multiple sadness. So with that, let's get started with Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things. Stanley, breakfast on the table! Stanley, are you listening to me? Originally released in 1971, Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things was written, directed, and produced by Thomas Casey. You may know Thomas Casey. Well, you don't know Thomas Casey, I'm sure of that. But you would either have to know him from this movie or the other movie he wrote, uh, which was called Flesh Feast. IDMB rates this film an astonishing Six out of ten stars. It would not surprise me to see this film ranked six out of a hundred stars or possibly six out of a thousand stars. So seeing six out of ten is a mind-boggling high rating. According to IMDb, people who like this film also like the following films. Flesh Feast, The American Dreamer, Spawn of the Slithus, Savage Weekend, Nightmare Castle, The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein... <laughs> Demonoid, Messenger of Death, and Valerie and Her Week of Wonders. Well, Valerie. I thought you were a nice girl. Oh, shut up. Uh, the cast of this movie. First, we have Abe Zwick. He plays the titular Martha Baxter, Aunt Martha, who we will discover shortly. His real name is Paul. And he is in disguise as Aunt Martha. He has one acting credit, and that is of Paul slash Aunt Martha in this film. So uh, critics could not have been kind to him, I'm guessing. You are in debt to me, young man. You better do a little soul searching. Wait a minute, I'll go get my violin. You are selfish and... Okay, okay, don't sweat it. You know, everything I do is wrong. His backup is Stanley. Hey, that's funny. Paul Stanley, like from Kiss. We have Paul and we have Stanley. Um, Stanley is played by Wayne Crawford, who has 33 acting credits. This is his first. Some of the other films he appeared in include Barracuda, Trial by Terror, and Snake Island. If you scroll down Wayne's IMDb entry, he wrote Barracuda. That's the original 1978 and he also wrote Valley Girl, which some of you may know. Wayne Crawford was also a movie producer. He produced Valley Girl as well as Night of the Comet, which is a fantastic movie. I can't believe that the same guy was associated with that film. I watched this movie three times trying to come up with a plot summary. And every time I got sidetracked trying to write down all the plot points. So I am going to try to do this from memory. At the beginning of the film, we meet Aunt Martha, uh, who is n in no way a convincing woman. <laughs> so it is not a surprise when Aunt Martha takes the wig off and we actually discover that Aunt Martha is really Paul in disguise. Now, Paul and his friend, let's call him for now his friend Stanley, uh, 
have relocated from Baltimore to Florida. And we find out that in Baltimore, Stanley committed a murder. So the two of them have relocated down to Florida where they are uh, supposedly trying to be low-key. Now, they are doing everything possible not to be low-key. The first uh, thing would be a man walking around in drag in, in downtown Florida in the late 60s. Um, and Stanley has a giant uh, old-school, I don't know what you call it. It's a van, but like the, the front is flush. Uh, it's flat, like a VW-type van. Uh, and it's completely covered with hippie graffiti. Uh, and in fact, on the side of the door, like where Stanley rides, it says Stanley. <laughs> so for a couple of guys trying to be incognito, they are not doing a good job. Uh, they deal with nosy neighbors who come over. Um, and at the beginning, Paul tells us that he does not enjoy dressing up in drag and being in disguise as Aunt Martha. Do you think I don't feel like an idiot running around town in these women's clothes? It's your idea, not mine. But as the movie progresses, we find out that the two of them are more than just friends. Uh, we don't see any physical contact between the two, uh, but it is definitely insinuated that they are lovers uh, and not just roommates uh, or have this relationship of the older uh, Paul and the younger Stanley. Hold it, hold it. You can't come inside. You're going to get me in a lot of trouble. You mean your Aunt Martha? Yeah. <laughs> she don't dig me going out with girls. Now, Stanley has a problem. He likes to party with women. He likes to drink and do drugs. But uh, he does not. Well, first of all, when he does drugs, he typically passes out or gets into this violent state where he attacks the women that are around him. He also attacks women any time they try to touch him in some sort of sexual contact. So he parties with women, they all do drugs and drink, and then when they start to make out, he freaks out. So it's kind of a strange uh, behavior on Stanley's part. Uh, and also, but he continues to do it. And in addition to that, Paul gets insanely jealous whenever Stanley does this with other women. And uh, this, of course, leads to um, a stern talking to with the women. <laughs> no, just kidding. It leads to stabbings. You filthy bitch. Get away from him. Help me. You can't have him. He's mine. Stanley, get her out of here. Don't you touch him. He belongs to me. Things are going so-so for the couple, um, but... A man from their past shows up. This is Hubert Williams. Uh, Hubert, uh, this is my Aunt Martha. And that man is Hubert. He has uh, traveled from Baltimore down to Florida because he has a drug problem and he's looking for a place to crash. Now, that sounds like a ridiculous motivation, and we soon find out that it is. That is not true. Uh, Hubert's true motivation. His true motivation uh, at first is to blackmail Paul and Stanley and try to get free room and board and maybe money out of them in exchange for not going to the police because we learn that he has recognized the two and tracked them down. Their, their faces were printed in the Baltimore newspaper. You are going to provoke me into doing something I don't want to do. That shakes me up. 
So he's going to blackmail them. But later, what we find out is that Hubert knows that when they killed this woman, uh, that they had taken her box of jewelry. And so he's going to try to find the jewelry that they have hidden and make off with it. So uh, that becomes the plot as it is until the final uh, climax. And the final climax is so crazy that I don't even want to talk about it now. I'm going to talk about it later in the show. But there's some crazy things that happen. What's in the cigar box? Donuts. Would you like some? This movie is rated R. Uh, There is uh, some slight adult language, but uh, there is some some female nudity that appears, and I think that's what got it. There's also drug use, so that might get it too. And murder. So really, okay, so there's actually a lot of reasons (laughs) why this is R-rated. But funny enough, uh, a movie about a murderer it's not for violence. Uh, there's not really any on-screen violence. Um, I think there might be, like when someone gets stabbed, they might show them uh, the body laying on the ground with blood coming out of their mouth or something, but very, very mild, uh, much less violent than what you would see on, on a typical you know evening television show at this point. You're dead. You're dead. Get away from me! You stinking whore! How did I hear about this movie? Well, I used to collect books uh, of lists of movies. I know Leonard Malton had some books like this. I know Roger Ebert had these. They were books of bad movies or strange movies, things like that. And so I know that that's where I originally saw the title for this movie, Um I did not acquire this movie until a couple of years ago. For a long time, it was VHS only. In fact, up until this past summer, the summer of 2015, it was only available on VHS. Now, it has just recently been released on DVD, and it comes with uh, a commentary track. Not, I don't think with the people involved in the film, but some uh, people who've done a lot of research. And I hear that it's very good. I do not own the DVD. I just own a copy of the uh, VHS version of the tape. The original print, I believe, was lost, I read, and so the DVD is from a 35mm print, so there is some slight damage, but really, when you watch this movie, the last thing on your mind, you won't not like this movie because the quality of the print. Let's just say that. Let's say if you're watching this movie, you will find at least 2,800 things worse about this movie than the quality of the print. That will not be. I watched a copy of a VHS version of this, and the quality of that was not in the top 100 things uh, (laughs) bad about this film. That dirty bitch filled you full of drugs, didn't she? Look at you. The title breakdown. Sometimes Aunt Martha does dreadful things. Well, um... I would say a lot of times she does dreadful things. Most of the time she's on the screen, she is doing dreadful things and other people around her do dreadful things. And for the most part, it's a dreadful film. So I would say um, the only problem I have with the title breakdown would be I would replace the word sometimes with usually or almost always Aunt Martha does dreadful things. The VHS cover that I have has a picture of Aunt Martha holding a giant kitchen knife. So when I say Aunt Martha, that is Paul uh, dressed as Aunt Martha with a cheap wig on and a giant butcher knife. And there's a subtitle that says a twisted mind snaps 
and a wave of terror begins. I don't know that we see a wave of terror so much in this film, uh, but there are definitely twisted minds, uh, which would be everybody, pretty much everybody in this film. Now, I want you to get your hair cut. I don't want to see it running down your neck again. I don't care. I'm going to let it grow out. You do, and I will shave your head down to your toenails. I tried my best to explain the plot. Uh, we have Aunt Martha Baxter, which is in reality Paul, who is in disguise as Aunt Martha. He uh, cross-dresses, but basically this involves a wig, eyeliner, and strange women's dresses. Uh, they are almost like the same style, like if you took a burlap sack and <laughs> just cut some armholes, they look like that. They're not the same material, but they're just square dresses. He wears a red dress with a rope around the waist uh, for about half the film and a blue one uh, for the other half. So it's kind of some strange outfits. Aunt Martha could definitely use some uh, style advice if anybody out there wants to give Aunt Martha uh, some tips. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, Aunt Martha, you know, Paul says that he doesn't like dressing, uh, cross-dressing, but later we find out that uh, he, he does profess his love to Stanley, so maybe he doesn't want to dress like a woman, um, but he is definitely in love with Stanley and is jealous of Stanley any time uh, that he goes out with women. Come on. Take your clothes off. Oh, wait, I can do it. Uh, so... Uh, Stanley is the second part of this crime team. Uh, in the movie, he is 18. We are told that his 19th birthday takes place during the movie. The guy playing him looks at least 30. Uh, and I just looked it up and he was 29 when they made this film. So basically he's 30 years old playing an 18 year old, uh, which is kind of weird. Stanley likes partying with women uh, and his buddies. And he's constantly going to uh, parties and, and uh, doing drugs Sometimes in the film, he acts almost like he's mentally disabled. Like, I, I think they're trying to get over uh, that he's childlike and immature, but they go almost to a point. I mean, when you have a 30-year-old man acting like he's 10, he just comes off as being mentally uh, deficient in, in some way. Um, Stanley also, as I mentioned, has these drug freakouts where he blacks out and often attacks the women around him, uh, that are, you know, trying to have sex with him. I have told you before not to drink out of that faucet. The third major character is Hubert. He is the fellow from Baltimore that shows up. He tracks them down. Uh, he is a heroin drug addict and they, he's referred to as a junkie. And he, they mention that they have seen tracks on his arms. Sick my ass. Did you get a good look at the man's arm? I mean, he's a goddamn junkie. That's all we need. And he has shown up to blackmail uh, the killers and eventually try to steal the money that they stole from Mrs. Johnson, who is the woman that was murdered in Baltimore. Plot pacing. Well, I wrote, uh, like the title, it is dreadful. There are long stretches of this movie where there is no dialogue. In fact, in the first five minutes, there's a two and a half minute scene where there's no dialogue. Uh, there are lots of times with Aunt Martha being the only person on the screen walking around doing things with, uh, again, no dialogue and no real purpose. So uh, it's very uh, odd 
what they devoted the screen time to, I guess would be a good way to say it. Um, there are lots of points where nothing is happening and, you know, long lingering shots of nothing. So it's a uh, hour and a half film, but it feels like about a two hour. We're not going to fight anymore, are we, Paul? No, no, we're not. We're going to be considerate of one another from now on. You know, I love you. I didn't see any real social commentary, you know, for two lead characters in a 1971 film that are both gay. You would think maybe they would be trying to make some sort of statement. Uh, you would have them, uh, you know, reference their sexuality or um, comment on different things, but they never really do that. So there's no, um, you know, it, you have the part of the plot where the jealousy between the two of them uh, creates conflict. But other than that, it doesn't really serve a purpose. And so I was a little disappointed that they didn't try to do more with that situation. Hey, schmuck. What are you doing in there? I'm uh, reading the National Geographic. No, I mean the noise. I dropped an ashtray. It didn't sound like an ashtray. Better get stuff a hearing aid. Are you smoking pot again? Uh, direction and editing. Well, this movie often felt to me like a television show. It definitely sounds like one. There's a lot of generic music uh, used in the background for the soundtrack. Um, and the editing is a lot like a TV show. Like There's a lot of scenes where you'll see people walking up to the outside of a building, and then you'll see them come inside. And it's very obvious that they're you know moving from an outside shot to an indoor set. So it doesn't flow uh, very smoothly at all. Writing and acting, I didn't even write anything down because it's the whole thing is terrible. That sadistic little bastard. He wants to play games with me. Mm-mm. No siree. You're not going to torment me, baby. No two-faced little bastard's going to give me the royal shafting. For costumes and props, I wrote down one major one, and that is Aunt Martha's wig. I mean, <laughs> this thing is in a lot of the movie, and it is awful. It is like um, when, I, when I was a kid, my mom went to a... Uh, uh, Oh, like a beauty supply thing and had this wig that we, maybe she got in a garage sale. I don't know, but I, it seems like it came from there, uh, that we use for like Halloween and doing stuff. And it's like that kind of wig. It's not, um, it, it doesn't look realistic at all. In fact, at one point Stanley wears it, which makes, uh, uh Paul very angry, but it, it's just a silly looking thing. Um, I didn't really notice any product placement in the film. I think this, I don't know if it predates that, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe they might've been drinking like a specific brand of beer in one scene or something, but not, I mean, it's not upfront. It's not, uh, very prominent if it's, uh, focused, you know, like nothing that's focused in the shot, like in the foreground, um, for the uh, set and filming locations, I found two different uh, studios that were mentioned, Moberly Studios and Shipley Studios, and those are both uh, in and around Hollywood, Florida. So not Hollywood, California, but Hollywood, Florida. I guess there was a, a time in the late 60s, early 70s, where Hollywood, Florida was trying to make a name for itself um, to uh, be a place to film movies. So the outdoor scenes have a very Florida look, lots of... Uh, 
uh, you know, the, the palm trees and, and they're in this house that sits on a golf course. So it does have a very Florida type feel to it. Uh, but everything that's indoors is very obviously set inside a studio. It doesn't feel the way that the, the characters move around in the space. It doesn't feel like, uh, a real house. It feels like a stage house, if that makes sense. Like the way the stairs are laid out, the way that the rooms are laid out just kind of has that feel. There are three songs mentioned in the soundtrack that are also listened on IMDb. The first is Pussy Cola, <laughs> which was performed by Deep Throat. That sounds like something that's made up. Uh, and then there's Fun Key. That's two words like having fun. Fun Key performed by Robin Perry. And then the third one is Veiled Threat performed by David Lindup. L-I-N-D-U-P. And he's the only one that I really found any information on. He had a hit single called The Zodiac, which you can find on uh, YouTube and different places. So um, he looks like he's the only one that had a actual uh, music career outside of this film. For special effects and stunts, I did not write anything down. Uh, there are no real stunts. Uh, the special effects, I mean, there's a few people that get stabbed, but you don't see the knife going into them or anything like that. Uh, and then there's a... I mean, something that could have been a gory special effect towards the end, and I'll talk about that uh, here in a minute, but it's not shown on screen. So that's going to bring us to the top five quotes from the film. And let me tell you, I could have done 50 of these. I had a hard time narrowing this down to just five. But let's go ahead and get started with the top five quotes from Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things. Number five. I hope you get a good case of the clap, Stanley. Number four. Come on, pussycat. Number three. Will you get to bed? Man, you're beautiful. You know, one minute you want to kill me, the next minute you want to ball with me. Let's ball, Aunt Martha. Come on, Aunt Martha, let's ball. <laughs> Number two. And you're about as reliable as a jackrabbit. Number one. Do you know what you need? You need a broomstick up your ass. And now it's time for the Killer Bees. Wait a minute. You must be the... That's right, gringo. The Killer Bees. The Killer Bees refers to bloody bodies, boobs, background blinks, B-movie tropes, and boggling questions. So for bloody bodies, and we are now entering spoiler territory, so if you don't know what, want to know what happens uh, in this film, I'm about to give some, some big things away. Uh, first of all, Alma, who is the first girl that we see Stanley with, she gets killed in the forest. Paul tracks her down and kills her. Uh, then we have Alma's friend, another nosy waitress uh, who works at the uh, at Tino's Pizzeria, where everybody hangs out in the movie. And she gets uh, crowned in the head by a shovel from Paul as she comes snooping around. station yeah i got trouble i got two missing girls no waitresses uh then we get to pretty much towards the climax and there are four people that get killed in the climax number one hubert gets shot on a golf course as he's running away from paul paul just shoots him on the golf course like on the <laughs> on the nine hole like it's actually by the um uh, like by a sand trap, he just goes, ah, and falls on a sand trap. So uh, his body is, is discovered pretty quickly. What happened to Hubert? What do you think happened to Hubert? 
I shot him. Is he dead? Well, he better be. The second person that gets killed, and this is crazy. This is a crazy part of the movie. But the neighbor, the nosy neighbor that keeps coming over to, and she wants to meet Aunt Martha and do things with Aunt Martha, she's pregnant and she has to be in her late 40s in this movie. Um, and so, but we learn that also she has a bad heart. And so during the climax, when everybody runs out of the house, Aunt Martha runs into this lady, which causes her basically to die and have a heart attack or die from being run into. So when this happens, Stanley takes her back to his little clubhouse thing that they have out behind his house. And when she dies... He decides he's going to save her baby by cutting out her baby. You maniac. I couldn't let the baby die. So you took a knife and you opened her up? Is she dead? Which is so weird. And, like, who would think to do that? Uh, But she does have a great death scene. I mean, she's just laying there. And dies, and I want to play the clip of her dying right now. I don't know if she's getting paid by the minute. <laughs> it sounded like it to me. But that's totally weird death in this movie. Uh, and then, and this is pretty deep spoilers here. Uh, at the end of the movie, right before the police run in, Stanley gets stabbed by Paul. And then right before the police can get in, Paul shoots himself. So this movie ends with the two stars dying in a murder-suicide, basically. So uh, if you had any hopes of a sequel. Sometimes Aunt Martha does more dreadful things. Sometimes Aunt Martha does dreadful things. Part two, that's not going to happen. Because <laughs> Aunt Martha's dead. And so is Stanley, and so is the neighbor, uh, and so is Hubert and everybody else in this film. Uh, the one thing I wasn't sure of is whether the baby lived or died. They make it seem like the baby lived, but it never cries, and there are no sound effects of the baby dying. So I'm not sure if the baby lived or not. But I think the baby is supposed to live, but uh, they don't make it very clear. Stanley, I want you to go and clean up in the kitchen right now. I didn't make any mess in the kitchen. Stanley, don't talk back to me. Do as I say. So on to the boobs. Uh, and we have some uh, weird late 60s, early 70s boobs <laughs> that appear in this movie. Uh, we have the uh, blonde Alma, uh, the lady that goes to the beach with Stanley. Uh, she goes back to Stanley's house. They go to the bedroom, and she's the first person that tries to seduce Stanley. She takes off all her clothes. Um, and she... I mean, she's a very nice-looking woman, but she's also a very, like, late-60s-looking woman, which is just a different standard than what we, uh, you know, expect to see. I don't know. It's weird because I don't know that people 
look that much different, but this lady looks a little different. Um, and then later on, Stanley goes to another party in his little drug shack, and one lady just basically takes her clothes off, and she's like, hey, I smoked a little doobage, so let's get naked and dance around. That old bird's got something on his mind. So neither one of those have really much to do with the plot, uh, and it, it seems like it was tossed in you know, just to get this an R rating. Uh, they didn't need to be in the film. For B-movie tropes, uh, we have a couple of weird things. One is obviously um, when Paul chases the women through the forest to kill them. He is just moving you know, at this kind of moderate speed, and the girls are running. But, of course, they fall down and, and uh, lay there and look over their shoulder and scream as he's approaching, and they don't try to crawl away. Like I, I always feel like if somebody was coming to stab me, I would kind of be moving away from them until the end. But uh, these women don't do that. They just lay on the forest floor waiting to be stabbed. Um, and then the, uh, black and white inverse camera flip, you know, when they have, when they show the murders, they don't really show the murders. It's just the, uh, video flips back and forth, like inverse, regular, inverse, regular. And there's some, uh, you know, weird music playing. And it, I don't know if this was done to cover up, like if they shot something more gruesome that was cut out and they did that to fill the spot so that the audio would line up or if they just really didn't want to show that or whatever, I don't know, but um, but it's annoying when it does it. So you, <laughs> so rest assured, it will give you a headache onto the boggling questions. There's so many, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, I mean, my first question is why would anybody on the run act like this? And by that, I mean, why would they go to Florida? Why would one of them dress up as a woman and walk around? I mean, being seen in public all the time with all this is going to do is draw attention to them. If, they weren't already having attention brought to them by the fact that they're driving a very unique van with their names written on the door. So um, <laughs> if you, if there is a book out there for Laying Low 101, these two have not read it. Uh, also, the, uh, the boggling part, you know, when the woman has her heart failure and she's pregnant and Stanley decides the best thing is to take, you know, her back to their little drug shack and let her lay there uh, until she dies and then cut her baby out. I mean, in what world does this make any sense at all? Why wouldn't you throw her in the van uh, and go to the hospital or call the police or, or do something, you know? But I just it's it's so bizarre that it's it's not even like it doesn't even make sense bizarre. It's just bizarre, bizarre. Go. Damn, go it. When? Right now, baby. So my overall multiple sadness rating, how much did I enjoy this? I gave this a two out of five. I didn't enjoy it that much. It wasn't bad enough uh, to be that enjoyable to me. I might make it a three if I had someone else come over and I got enjoyment from watching them squirm and suffer through how bad it was. Uh, so that might make me enjoy it a little bit more. But as it stood, I just didn't enjoy it that much. It wasn't cohesive. It wasn't... Um, you know, a, a good bad movie to me is a movie that's trying to be a good movie, um, but then falls short for different reasons, either for writing or acting or a budget or whatever. And speaking of budget, I, I couldn't find what the budget of this movie was, but it has to be like a hundred bucks or something. And, uh, other than that van, and, and probably that van belonged to somebody on this set. But uh, other than renting the studio space, there just couldn't have been that much money invested. I It would not surprise me to find out if there wasn't a script, like if nobody wrote a script 
or if they were writing it as they were filming it because there's so many parts that just don't really make sense. I mean, you, it, it's like someone wrote a pitch, you know, like two guys get involved in a murder in Baltimore. They flee to Florida and then eventually someone else tracks them down and pretends to, uh, you know, just want to crash with them. But in reality, wants to get the money or something like that part I get. But anything above and beyond that seems like it was just filmed on the fly, like a bunch of guys sitting around smoking weed. Like, you know, it'd be funny if this girl just took her clothes off in the shack. <laughs> like, that's not funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just there's just so much to it that doesn't make sense. That doesn't link to anything else that I just I just had a hard time enjoying uh, Aunt Martha and her her deadly uh, uh, antics. That's going to wrap up this episode of Multiple Sadness. I'm always looking for suggestions for bad movies, so if you have a bad movie in mind that you'd like me to watch and give a review, you can send that to me. Uh, as I mentioned before, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Drop me a line on Twitter under Commodore. Go to the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash multiple sadness. Uh, or you can leave a voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast voicemail hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. Multiple Sadness is a part of the Adventure Club podcast network and Throwback Network. So be sure to check out both of those uh, websites. You can go to theacpn.com to find all the great Adventure Club podcast shows. There's a ton of great shows out there. And of course, uh, it's you can always find lots of retro theme shows over at throwbacknetwork.net. So thanks again for listening to Multiple Sadness. Uh, I'm going to close out here and then I'm going to give you a final spoiler from the movie Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things. Spoiler alert. Throughout the entire movie, Stanley is going along with all of Paul's plans because he thinks that he's the one that killed the woman in Baltimore. But as it turns out, he was passed out from drugs, and Paul is the one who actually killed the woman out of jealous rage. So poor Stanley. He's been framed for a murder he didn't commit. And uh, anyway, that's the big shocker. Oh, yeah, and the murder-suicide. That's a good one, too. Goodbye, Mrs. Baxter.